Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. Today, the show is going to experience a little blast from the past through a modern brand. I'm on with Margot's founders, Alexa Buckley and Sarah Pearson, and I can't wait to have you hear that conversation. First off, if you're new, welcome. Welcome to our community, and please do listen to some of our past episodes as well. We've been around here for just over a year, and we talk with top CMOs and founders about how to build more authentic brands each and every day. And before I get into the interview, just want to make a very quick thank you to everybody who's been listening over the past year. Just this week, we moved into the top 50 marketing podcasts on iTunes, which is kind of crazy. And uh, it makes me think of the first podcast that I ever did from a couple of years ago. And to think this is where I've grown is really great. So, so thank you for that. The reason I mentioned that past podcast is because it was also host to our two interviewees today, Alexa and Sarah, both came on to a prior podcast of mine, so this was a blast from my past. And today we talk about how the modern shoe brand, per the title, is growing up and how it's been doing over the past couple of years and specifically how it is growing a community of faithful and passionate wearers. This is a modern shoe for a modern woman, and these two founders know a heck of a lot about that. So sit back and listen in to the second time I'll be interviewing from Margot. Alexa Buckley and Sarah Pearson. This is a bit of a blast from the past, but now in the present. I've got two founders sitting in front of me here who I spoke to about two and a half years ago on another podcast that I did. Um, And if you know me personally, you're probably the only ones to have ever listened to that and this. But now you get the pleasure of listening to both. I'm here with the founders of Margo, Alexa Buckley and Sarah Pearson. Thanks so much for being with me on the show today. Thank you for having us. So I'm going to do something which is a little similar to how I started two and a half years ago in this conversation with you. Of course, Margo has been around for a number of years, but I want to know how everything got started out. Now we're sitting here for, uh, because this would be bad radio otherwise, for our listeners in your pop-up feature in Georgetown as you're opening it up. But I want to know, this has been a long time coming to this point. How did it all get started? As I'm aware, some of it started with listening to a speech. Some of it started with a jump into the unknown a couple of years ago. Let's start there. Yes. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having us a second time. Um, we're such fans of your podcast. Um, and Sarah and I started thinking about this brand um, in our college dorm room in 2014. We were uh, roommates at the time and best friends. Um, We had met our freshman year at Harvard and uh, have been friends ever since. And the idea for Margot was born really out of this notion of realizing that so often women have to choose between things that are comfortable and things that are stylish. And we felt like this was particularly the case in footwear as we'd seen in our summer internships just few months before so many women wearing a pair of shoes to get them somewhere and then shuffling into another pair when they arrive and doing that funny thing that women do where they have an extra pair in their bag or a rack under their desk Um, and we felt like this was totally outdated and that a woman deserved to have a pair of shoes that made her feel beautiful and comfortable and that she could start and end her day in and so as we started thinking about it and kind of diving into this idea of that perfect wear everywhere shoe we realized that it is as much about the sort of technical engineering of the shoe itself as it is about the size offering and the fit options available as well. And when we realized this, uh, we had a big aha. 
and decided that this was something that needed to happen and we wanted to take on. So we decided to not take our corporate job offers that we had previously committed to and instead uh, moved to New York in the summer of 2014, got a um, two-person windowless office in Soho and began building what is now Margot today. And at its core, the mission is to create shoes that are as beautiful as they are comfortable by sort of combining form and function and perfecting one silhouette at a time, but also simultaneously offering our customers fit options that they can't find anywhere else. So uh, things have progressed, obviously, since then quite a bit um, from the idea of, of, of the classic heel that Margot started with all the way, or not the heel, sorry, let me back that up. It was the classic flat, then the heel was after that, right? Am I right? Yes. Okay, got it. And now I'm sitting out, so I'm going to do this over. So things have progressed quite a bit since then, uh, from the classic flat to the classic heel. Now I just was out prior to this, and I don't pretend to know really hardly anything <laughs> at all about, uh, about the shoes that were in the bag and now don't have to be in the bag as a result of your business. But things have been progressing like crazy over the last few years. What are you most excited for right now with where Margot is? We are excited about so many things. I think that the thing that excites us the most is that we still feel like we're just getting started in terms of what we have the ability to accomplish and the brand that we have the potential to build. And we're so excited about the community that that has continued to grow and mature since we first started the brand four years ago. And we feel that that we have this momentum um, going into 2020 and going into kind of the next stage of growing the business. And part of that is continuing to extend our retail footprint like we have here in Georgetown with the addition of this store. Uh, but part of that too then is to continue to grow the product line in you know selective but strategic ways. Uh, and then fulfill that mission that we set out with to reinvent the footwear wardrobe for our customer and for today's woman. And this uh, this has taken a perhaps an unexpected step for us. So we started off with the classic flat, as you mentioned. Uh, that was our single uh, perfect style when we first launched and really formed the cornerstone of the product lineup and was really meant to be that wear everywhere shoe that takes you from when you leave your home in the morning until you get back at night, no shoe shuffle required. And as we launched, our heel and then various versions of both our flats and our heels, we realized that there is a tremendous demand from our customers for really those dress footwear styles, those heels in particular. And so we've started to develop and innovate some exciting iterations on our existing heels, uh, including a higher heel, which is both a technical engineering feat, but then also to a tremendous opportunity um, to build on that demand. And so that's where we're headed in the next few months. Uh, and at the core, too, in, in the kind of day-to-day -day things, we're thinking a lot about culture and how we maintain kind of our commitment to our values um, and this really close-knit family-like atmosphere we've built at the office as we add more and more people to the team as we add new locations. Uh, we want everyone to feel like they're part of this um, and that we are all in this together and that's a huge priority for us as well. I'm sure it is. How many are you, are you up to now as a business? We are at eight people at headquarters, uh, which has been, you know, an increase from five at the beginning of the summer. So yeah. we were a five-person team for the longest time. 
and now we'll be adding a few more people in the next few months as well. So the growth, not only in terms of the personnel, but in terms of the business. And I'm sure that that goes right along with the awareness that's been building and building and building upon itself, as you've just mentioned. Let's get into the values real quick that you just talked about uh, to stay true to those. What, what are the values that you both as founders um, seek to stay true to as you lead the charge forward? I think the number one most important value um, for our business is the customer always comes first. So every decision that we make, whether it has to do with the layout of a store, the design of a new product, the location of our next pop-up, um, or the design of our newest packaging, it is always made with a customer in mind. Um, and I think kind of keeping that as the number one priority is a really surefire way to make sure that each of the decisions that we're making as we're continually spread thin and growing faster and faster serves the singular purpose of accommodating and empowering this everyday woman throughout her day. So then let's talk for a second about putting the customer first, specifically the communities of customers that you build. And we were just talking a little bit about this pre-recording. You are holding a dinner, for instance, just this very evening inside the Georgetown pop-up. But what are some of the ways that you seek to build this community of devoted wearers and I believe even super customers you may have used as a, as a term before. What are the, some of the ways in which you're actively doing that today? When we think about what kind of the next great footwear brand looks like, we think that, you know, and firmly believe that it will be a direct-to-consumer brand because traditional retailers and wholesale sailors have a, a disadvantage in that there there's a disconnect from that customer and that you know brands for example who sell through multi-brand retailers don't have that immediate feedback that we have so inherently because we're direct to consumer so that's number one and then I'll let Alexa talk a little bit about some of the community building efforts that we're doing uh, not just at our stores but uh, through our online and social communities as well Yes, we love community building. We, in the same way they're direct to consumer, the way that we sell our products, uh, we think about that in our community building as well. So for example, tonight in our Georgetown pop-up where we are currently sitting in its stock room, <laughs> thank you, um, we are hosting a dinner for customers to celebrate the opening of the store. And instead of hosting a traditional dinner for press, who would then tell our customers about us, we went right to them. Um, because we thought this would be a really special opportunity to bring together a very diverse group in terms of age and industry and demographic uh, around a dinner table to understand what they love about the brand, understand what they wish we did better, understand what they wish we had more of or less of, and understand what they want from us in the future. Uh, we want to make this group feel special and heard, and we also understand that we have a lot to learn from spending a few hours around a dinner table with them. So that, I think, is one example among many of the ways in which we want to put our customers first, but be in constant contact with them as well. We have a blog called On The Go, which is a play on the word Margot. Um, that is a platform for us to talk about all the ways in which this brand is about so much more than the products we create. Um, it is about the woman that we are creating for and hopefully empowering and accommodating in her everyday life. So it is a place for us to storytell. Um, one of our favorite things in the blog is a series called The Go Girls, which is a series that features once every two weeks a woman that inspires a brand. It spans 
age industry and geography and um, it allows us to kind of show the ways in which these products are also kind of chameleons and they can adapt to so many different contexts um, and flex in terms of range of age and style so we can as easily profile a stylist in Los Angeles as we can an artist in New York City as we can an entrepreneur in Chicago um, and we've done just that so community building for us is about being in touch with the customer. It's about spending time with her and it's about celebrating her um, on our blog and on our social media. And through these different ranges of disciplines and demographics, it seems obvious that inclusivity as a value for Margot is of the highest priority as well. Would you mind telling me a little bit about how that plays into everything? Absolutely, so inclusivity has been our number one value from you know the day that we first started dreaming up this idea and where it originated from is as we you know tried to answer that question where is that wear everywhere shoe that makes us feel confident and comfortable um, and, and great on our feet all day long uh, we came to the answer that a lot of that has to do with sizing and and having access to the right size and knowing your correct size right. and having the right fit. And so at first for us, you know, inclusivity really was about size inclusivity. So we have a size two and a half to 14 product range uh, with three widths, narrow, medium and wide widths, as well as a made to measure offering for people who fall outside of even those extended sizes. And so that was how we first, you know, forayed into building a brand that was truly inclusive, a footwear brand that was truly inclusive because they're very rare. Then we also, as we matured and found our voice, started to think about what else inclusivity means, um, especially as you know, a next generation luxury footwear brand. And we realized that inclusivity also meant two other very important things. The first is inclusive in you know, the price point that we were able to offer our customers and that, that value um, and the quality at our price. And we're able to accomplish that again by being direct to consumer. And the third is, perhaps the most important to us now, which is how our customer feels when she shops with Margot, and taking a really warm and inviting uh, approach to the experiences that we create for our customer, both online, on social, and then in store. So, so much going on there, and obviously that, I'm, again, not the biggest expert on shoes, but I know that that has, I'm sure, been uh, something that your customers have embraced is by being that inclusive and even being custom when you can in terms of size and then of course everything else that goes with that very umbrella term. When it comes to taking the experiences of those customers that you cater to so well and taking their stories and experiences and funneling them back into the community of people who are already fans of the brand and on the show we would call this a way of expanding the current authentic influence that you wield. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that you do that? Um, perhaps online or through experiential, but, but talk to me a little bit about that. It'd be interesting to know. That's a great question. Um, you know, it, for, it starts just by sharing like what to our other customers, why our customers love our product. And first on social media, um, we will take reviews and tidbits and sentiments and repost them uh, on our feed and on our blog. Um, and then I think second and most importantly, we take it right back to our team and we digest on a monthly basis what our customers care most about, um, what our customers are most frustrated with, and what our customers want from us. 
and that informs everything we do at a product level and a service level. Um, but kind of having that direct line, like Sarah said, to our customers allows us to focus the future of the brand on what our customers depend on us for and love us for and continue to iterate on those things that we know we can improve on. So with all of that said, uh, you've got this grand mass of followers and customers who love Margot so much. You're taking their stories, you're putting them into the community. Uh, you've built up this incredible portfolio of not only products, but sizes, the way you're inclusive. I mean, what else could you possibly be looking forward to? I know we've teed that a little bit out of the beginning of this conversation, <laughs> but what are you looking forward to next year? I know you said the higher heel. By the way, I'm yes. a little interested about that. Actually, you know what? Let me, let me back up for a second because allow this to be a question from somebody who's pretty ignorant when it comes to this thing. Building the higher heel out, wasn't the existence of that high heel the whole reason for starting the company to disrupt having that higher heel? What, can you explain that a little bit? So it's a, a great question, and I'm glad that you asked this. So the whole mission of the company was to give women shoes that were both beautiful and comfortable and eliminated the need for what we call the shoe shuffle, which is you have a comfortable pair of shoes, whether they're flats or sandals or sneakers that get you where you're going. And then you have the shoes that you feel like you want to wear when you are, you arrive. And those are the shoes that are, you know, beautiful, but maybe uncomfortable. And the reality is that a lot of people will put up with pain um, to look and feel confident um, and, and beautiful. And we have felt that they shouldn't have to choose between style and comfort, especially when it came to shoes. And that we could design a, a shoe that could take you all of the places that you needed to go and still be the one that you wanted to wear when you arrived. And so, you know, not necessarily did we exclude higher heels or heels in general from that initial vision. We didn't expect that that was where our customer would lead us. But when, you know, we talk a lot about the customer and, uh, you know, garnering feedback from her and really internalizing that. And our customer has actually led us here. And the demand that she's continued to prove uh, for heels that are comfortable uh, is, you know, astonishing to us. And, and we see a huge opportunity to serve her by creating something that is comfortable in every way that every other Margot shoe is. And it starts with, you know, rigorous technical design. And that's where we're at right now is, you know, making sure that technically these shoes are uh, the best that they can be and that, you know, when we take them out on the street and wear test them, they meet all of the standards that we hold our other products to. And then the challenge will be putting it in the hands of the customer and seeing what she thinks. But we're really excited about this. And it's, you know, perhaps a leap of faith for us to see how our customer responds. But we think that she'll be just as excited as well. Gotcha. Thanks for the clarification there. Back to that last question, though, in terms of exactly what's next. I mean, what for the company just in general, in terms of what you're feeling, the sentiments that people have about Margot, I mean, what what gets you up in the morning other than the fact that at this point the demand forces you to? Like Sarah said, there is so much to be excited about right now. Um, the launch of our high heel next year, early next year, will be sort of the beginning of our foray and push into more dress footwear because we realize it's exactly what our customers are asking for. Um, we feel this gigantic momentum behind the brand right now. And 
we are in so many ways leaning into that. So next year will be more store openings. It will be product extensions. It will be growing our team. It will be collaborating with um, a few very exciting partners. Um, Some of those will be launching very early in the new year. And it will be dreaming bigger than I think when we talked to you two and a half years ago, we thought we might be at this time. Um, We had just one product for a very long time. And I think four years ago, we would have had no idea that our customers would have actually asked us to rethink their entire footwear wardrobe um, through this mission that we set out. So we're, I think, equally excited to sort of maintain the integrity of what we've always dreamt of doing, but doing it in a much bigger way. Last question here, because of course things are bustling. I can hear them in the, in the in the sort of the front of the store here. As you look forward to building this incredibly authentic brand, this incredibly inclusive brand, uh, what advice would you give to other founders, other other uh, perhaps not direct competitors, people who are just beginning a brand, whether it's in DTC or otherwise, how to build that authentic experience? I mean, where would you start? It's a very broad question. Perhaps it's more values-based, but I'm curious. I feel like we've said this in a few different ways earlier in this conversation, but I'll say it again because I do really feel that that's the secret to our success, and it will continue to be the secret to our success, is to always listen to your customer because they will tell you everything that you need to know about your brand, your product, and your retail experience. And for us, as Alexa said, we are constantly internalizing and then processing and and putting into action that feedback. Uh, And and we make sure and we take steps to make sure that we never lose touch with our customer. And so one example uh, among the others that we've given you already is net promoter score surveys it's you know the most simple thing it's uh you know the surveys that you get in your email which are how would you uh, are how likely are you to recommend Margot to a friend on a scale of one to ten single question one click answer and then it takes you to a page where perhaps you can leave a little bit more extensive feedback every person who purchases with Margot gets that survey Every person who responds gets a response from our team, whether it's a handwritten note to thank them for being a promoter or for those who are uh, passives or detractors to respond directly to their feedback or solicit more feedback so that we can respond to those concerns or questions. And so that's one way that we're making sure that we maintain that direct line. The other way, too, is just spending time on the retail floor and seeing what happens when you put your product in the hands of your customers. And that's something that we'll continue to do as entrepreneurs, but also you know, have our co- team continue to do at headquarters is just get in front of the customer so that they know who they are, they know what they want, and we know how we can better serve them. I would also add um, for any entrepreneur thinking about launching a brand and thinking about authenticity, um, that you know, authenticity to me at least feels like it's as much about integrity as it is about doing things your own way um, and doing th- something kind of uniquely. And in that way, I think when you're thinking about starting a business, um, you know, we thought long and hard about how are we going to do something different that hasn't been done before or solve a problem in our own way. And that creates authenticity and it also creates defensibility around your product and your business model. And In that way, I think it's so key as an entrepreneur to not be afraid to, you know, disrupt and to ask questions and to 
do things the way that they aren't usually done. I think as two 22-year-old girls walking into a footwear fit factory in Spain that produces for some of the most elite brands in the world, um, you know, if we had been afraid of being laughed at, we would never have started. And we certainly were laughed at and we certainly were told no. Um, but our sheer belief in the different way that we were going to do this allowed us to kind of power through and gave us the confidence that that was going to be okay. And I think that is where our authenticity comes from, is our understanding of the problem that we're trying to solve and our belief in our solution to it. It's that very familiar question and quote, which we all heard on the same day, it was what would you do if you weren't afraid? We heard that. And, and it's clear that you both have done that. In terms of getting in front of your customer, I'm going to let you get back to doing that right now, <laughs> get us out of the back room and into the front room. But for all of these insights and for sharing how you're inclusive and how you're building community for Margo with me, Alexa, Sarah, thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much to Alexa Buckley and Sarah Pearson from Margo for joining me on the podcast today. It was so great to see you and so great to interview you once again. Best of luck going forward. If you like this show, I have one ask today. Well, I have a couple, but the first one is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. I've been blessed to become a, a slightly bigger show there, and I'd love to have that public show of support via ratings and reviews. We're also on uh, LinkedIn, Authentic Influence Podcast. You can reach me personally there, all that good stuff. But I figured to mention that today. I want to know, who do you want me to talk to next? What are the questions you want me to ask? What, what are the industries that I should be getting into? There's plenty that I haven't done and plenty that I need to learn more about. And you're the best way to help me get there. I will be back again on Monday for another fantastic interview about how a top brand and their leader is pushing it to become more authentic each and every day through mobilizing their masses. And until then, and for Authentic Influence, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.